Oh, that was no recording in yeah. progress. No, no, heard that that <laughs> How weird. How you keeping anyway? You all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. Thank you. Good, good. Enjoyed your, your trip to Fringe? Yeah, yeah, that, oh, well, that was an experience. It's the first Edinburgh Fringe I've been to. And my mate, he's got two shows down there at the minute. Both sell out every night. So yeah, I said to him, oh, I'm going to be down this weekend. He said, oh, you could be on one of the shows if you want. They're called Improv Provocateur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The comedians on. So I was there Friday night and Saturday night. I was on the shows. Oh, one experience is absolutely brilliant. Loved it. That's amazing. Uh, like I said to you, I'm I'm totally jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Proper, proper jealous, proper jealous, because that's like, that's just, I would love to go to Fringe, not to be in it, because I don't think no. I could get on stage, mate, I don't know how you do it, I, I just <laughs> don't know, I just don't know how you do it, George, honestly, mate, um, I, I couldn't do it, to be honest, so. I get a lot of people saying that, going, how the hell do you do it, but it's like, in Panto, because obviously I'm used to doing it with the comedy, because of Panto, like with the Panto side, when you're on stage, because of how the lights are. You only see like the first two row, or, rows, so you almost yeah. forget that there's all there's another hundred or thousand odd people watching you. You just think, oh no, it's just those two rows. Oh, it's no, those it's two rows. Like, yeah, and you get used. To, you might, obviously, the more you do it, the more you get used to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I take my hat off to you, mate, because I I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I just couldn't <laughs> do it. Um, so for all of the listeners on podcast and radio, why don't you? Just tell people a little bit about your background, about where people may have seen you in certain films and TV shows and and, and bits. Well, if you're a sci-fi fan, you may have seen me at the Comic-Cons with my dad, Willie Coppin, who's an Ewok. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, so I always go along with him to them. So if you've met him at a Comic-Con, there's a high chance you would have met me. Um, if you've seen me on YouTube, as I've said, I'm a stand-up comedian, so... I put all my gigs on my YouTube page and my Facebook page. I've uh, done acting-wise on telly. If you've seen Artemis Fowl, the Disney Plus film came out last year. I'm in one of the last scenes. So you can see me here and there. Here and there, here and there. Yes. But you, I, I think what I've enjoyed seeing the most is your live stand-up. Thank you. Because I love it. Every time you put a video up, I'm just I, I will just sit and watch it because I think it's brilliant. It's copping with life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've got a show called Copping Through Life where basically because I do a lot of my well, the majority of my stand up about myself, about for what for your listeners, I'm a dwarf, so I do obviously my life's a lot different to everybody else's. The way I get treated, my experiences. So I basically turn that on its head. So. And basically say, look, you can laugh at it. I'm laughing at it, so laugh along with me. So yeah, I do a lot of it. Like about, I've got do a lot about being at school, about working, about panto, and yeah. In next month on the fifteenth of September, I think, believe it is, I'm doing my show, Copping Through Life, at a place called the Crafty Clown in Clown, which is near me, and I can't wait for that. I bet that's going to be amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I bet that's going to be so good. Um, yeah. So let let let's talk very briefly about dad obviously um being an ewok in arguably one of the biggest franchise sci-fi franchises ever um mm. how did you find that how was that for you sort of growing up with with dad going to like on film sets and and whatnot and well he um he's only recently got back into acting he stopped in about the 80s or 90s just before i was born i think he just had enough of it so yeah. my childhood he was like 
you're just a normal dad, nine to five job. And I think I learned about the Star Wars very quickly. And I just, because that's my life. So I don't really know anything different. So I'm like, yeah, dad's an Ewok, dad's done that film. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you're like, I'm used to it, you know. But yeah, but every time like Star Wars in on, especially Return of Jedi, we always have to wait to see the name in the bloody credits. It's like, all right, dad, yeah, we get it. You're an Ewok, we get it, just move on. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously it does come with his perks. Like when people are saying, oh, what do you do? And say, oh, my dad's an Ewok. Everyone's mouth just dropped going, what? Sorry, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good conversation dropper there, isn't it? It's like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah my dad's an Ewok. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably not something that people would expect, but I think um, it, it's probably a, for, 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 like, you know, people like yourselves with, with dwarfism that there wasn't that, much around at the time I guess for films so being able to do something like that was great and it's good that that you've sort of been able to to make your own way and like you, like you said yeah. make a little bit of joke about it I guess um, yeah but it's like especially dad's day when he did book Star Wars was his first major job he was just working in a shop when he first when a customer rang him and went William heard it on the radio asking people like you for the next Star Wars film and my dad had never even seen... He, I think he knew of Star Wars, but he'd never seen it till Yeah. Then he went, yeah, go along, I'll try this acting thing, see what it's, see what it's like. Try Because a lot of people say to me, oh, did he go to drama school? Did he do an acting course? Like, no, I'm a, I'm a dwarf. That's all I need to do to be a dwarf actor. Like, you're a dwarf, you fancy acting? Yeah, you're in. <laughs> I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, yeah. that, 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 that's quite... quite um quite very to the point isn't it that no he didn't do that he was just a dwarf so they gave him a job yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> and, and and it turned out to be probably one of the most lucrative ones he'll ever do i guess yeah absolutely yeah you know and it, i mean it's worked well for for, for warwick you know yeah. um and, and everything so which is great and there's a lot more dwarf actors now around which is brilliant to see there's a lot more inclusion now which is great um and i think we're not there yet but i think we are getting there slowly yeah yeah it is it is a slow process but there is more and more now that you see especially in big budget films it seems to be a lot in big budget films um which is which is nice to see how how did you find um sort of finding your own feet after school because i know you, you obviously touched on school and whatnot but how did you find sort of working after after school and like i know you said about panto and whatnot was that because yeah. dad was doing it or uh i don't know basically well after school uh tried to go to six hundred. that pretty much fair so i went right i'm out of here got this office job nine to five it's like i enjoyed it you know but it, i quit every me and everyone in the office quickly realized yeah you're not built for office work <laughs> so i completed this because apprenticeship and i'd had me mate who was doing panto uh, kept doing panto saying you need to do it it's one of the best things ever you need to do it so 2017 because i was originally going to do it in 2016 but then health issues flared up so i couldn't the 2017 i was like no i want to do panto so i said to my agent yep i want to do panto so i said oh do you want middlesbrough i went yes please i'll do that one of the best things i've ever done middlesbrough yeah. panto the 2017 christmas season it was with one of my best friends a guy called ben holmes who uh and now if people are on my page, I do a show with him called Fun Night. Well, it's, we've finished at a minute, but I used to do that every Saturday with him. So got into the panto of him and absolutely loved it. And because the people don't understand that I've never done panto, 
the independence it gives you because I went from living home with my parents and my sister to now living in digs uh, with a few of the other guys going right now I've got to cook myself I've got to wash myself I've got to wash my own clothes I mean and uh, sort all myself out so it's like yeah I grew up a lot over that panto I think and I just never wanted to leave it and we're like yep I've got a bug now I'd had action jobs that year beforehand because obviously my dad well because I got started doing it before my dad got back into it, if you know what I mean. And yeah. like my mates were doing it. So I said, like, Yeah, you need to get into the acting. I'm like, Yeah, go on. And then the first acting job I had was um, I was on a lad's holiday in France and just got a phone call out my agent from my agent completely out of the blue. He said, Oh, uh, when are you back from holiday? I said, Oh, the weekend. He said, Oh, uh, you're around on Wednesday. I went, Yeah, yeah. He said, Oh, Harry Hill's been in touch. Do you want to be on his show? I went, Pardon? He went, yeah, do you want to be on Harry Hill's show? I went, yes, please. You know, like, <laughs> I've grown up with Harry Hill. Like, TV burp, you've been framed. So a week or two later, because it was my first job, my dad took me down to London to be on his uh, Sky One show, Harry Hill's Tea Time. And, yeah. oh, that was brilliant. I absolutely loved that. It was a great experience. So obviously, I didn't really know how it worked. And like, to get that experience firsthand, it was like, wow. So I've worked with him and Hugh Ferlin Whitstall in this particular episode. And, like, this is bizarre. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it is bizarre because he's quite a he's quite an a a uh, an out there kind of character. Even though he's a he's a he's a doctor, isn't he? He's yeah. an actual real doctor, right. which is really smart. Which is bizarre. Like, yeah, totally bizarre. How how do you find panto versus TV versus film? How what what are the big differences for you? Uh, it's work wise panto is a lot of more work it's like on tv and film especially especially film majority of the time the jobs you've got a stand-in jobs we're basically like i'm usually warwick stand-in so i go in so they can get the scene right and yeah. then i go out and he goes in bish bash bosh but and i really don't like stand-in jobs because it's you're just start sitting around for the majority of the day doing nothing waiting and i know it's nice to earn money doing nothing but I'll, i want to earn it you know it's yeah. like you're just sitting there going uh, I've still got five hours. Whereas with Panther, it's like, go, 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 go. It's like, especially during, because uh, reher- rehearsals are a lot harder than the actual show in Panto. Really? Yeah, oh God, yes. Like the second week of rehearsal is called the tech week. When you're on stage, you're getting all the lighting right. And you've got a good like 10, 11 hour shift. You're working all week. Yeah. Cause, and you'll be doing the same scene again and again and again and again and again, practically all day. It's like, fuck me, this is knackering. Whereas when you're in the show, you're literally just on stage for as long as your scene is and you're in your dressing room, so you can relax more. A lot of people say, when I say rehearsal, the harder, they go, really? Go, yeah, because if you mess up the scene, you've got to do it again, then just do it again because the, the director's not happy or do it again because something fell over and do it again because your line wasn't right, you know? Yeah. You gotta, yeah, but, so, but Panto's more rewarding, you know, like, uh, when I when you go into local pub, you'll get people there, kids with programs going. Can you sign this? Like yes, sure. Whereas with uh, film and TV, majority of the time we're under prosthetics, so if you're just watching it, you wouldn't know. Like especially like my dad with Star Wars and me with a film I've got coming out next year with under heavy prosthetics, you don't know it's you. It's like oh yeah, so that oh is that you? I didn't know that. You know. Yeah, I think that's that. That's the thing with uh, quite a lot of films at the moment. Most of the characters, bar the leads, have a lot of prosthetics yeah. on, don't they? They're not 
it's only the lead characters, and I've noticed that recently, and it, it bugs me, like really, really bugs me. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, it's great for the actors, but if they're under loads of prosthetics, they're not gonna get the no. credit for it. Do you know what I mean? No, it's like uh, when I was filming Artemis Fowl a few years ago. There was a uh, different groups of dwarfs. So like, there was a few of us that were actually playing dwarfs, so we could tell who's who. There was a load who were goblins, and when they came into the room, you all went, "Right, who are you? Who's who? Who are you?" We couldn't even tell. Apart from one, who the way they act, we knew instantly who it was. The rest of them were like, "Yeah, we have no idea who it is. Who are you? Oh yeah, you're Sib. Oh hi, you're right. <laughs> yeah." Then, let alone when the film came out, you could tell. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. Is there is there a real a real strong community? Because um, I know that there's I know there's a charity, isn't there? Little People UK. Yeah. Um, is there is there a strong community in for for dwarves around there? You know, you know. Obviously, it depends on who you're working with. Like, you're mostly going to get a strong community in Panto because obviously there's six dwarves who you're working with, and sometimes you'll have digs with them. So, like, especially my first Panto Middlesbrough, I was living with three of the other lads, so we were living together, working together. We were only pockets, but all seven of us got on like a house on fire. We got on like a proper family. So, always depend on who you're working with, like. You'll always get some work where you're working with someone, you're going, why the fuck am I with him? You know, he's a right pain in the ass, right stuck up. And you're just like, I don't want to work with you, but you get over time. So it always depends on who it is. But it's like talking about family. It's like the comedy family I've got where I live in the East Midlands. We've got a proper strong family and we've got a group chat. And every time we go to gigs, there's at least two or three of us there. So be like, oh yeah, you're going to be at that gig. Oh yeah, I've got that gig with you. So... That's, yeah, we've got a proper strong family there as well. Good, good. Yeah. So let's talk about your comedy then. How how did you get into comedy? Because that's... Uh, well, the story is, when again, going back to my first panto in Middlesbrough, um, I remember this day we were in uh, warm-ups, vocal warm-ups in the morning, and I don't know if anybody listeners watch Emmerdale, but the, the main actress was Adele Silver from Emmerdale, and lovely woman, absolutely lovely. And she came on with her little girl, and just like that, I said, finally, there's somebody shorter than me. And the whole, everyone started laughing. And there's this other actor called Sean Prendergast. Again, lovely guy. He's one of those actors, you won't know the name, but you'll recognise the face, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he came up to me and said, George, can you do me a favour once Panto's finished? I went, yeah, sure. He went, become a comedian, please. I went, pardon? He went, you need to become a comedian. I went, okay. Then everybody else in Panto got wind of it and went, George, you need to do it. You're brilliant. You'll be hilarious. But yeah, go on and I'll give this a shot. So fin- finished that, uh, looked online, found this six-week course in London. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. It's while while I'm, I'm actually filming Artemis Fowl. So I could do that in a week, go to this course in the weekend and back, back and forth. So this guy called Logan Murray, very funny guy, was running a six-week course in London. At the end of it, I... You did like a showcase for five minutes. I had my first gig. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. I thought, yeah, I want to do this now. So I started Googling in Derby about open mic nights and I found a few open mic nights. And then I met a guy, uh, one of them called Alex Leem. And he said to me, Oh, I run uh, a writer's club in Derby. You'll have to come to it. I went, Yeah, go on then. So I went to this writer's club and I've not really looked back since. And like Alex, this guy, Alex Leem, I know. Put my words in. I owe a lot too, and the Writers Club. There's a lot of people there who have molded me into the comedian I am today. And like during lockdown, 
obviously we couldn't do any gigs and I did a few Zoom gigs, but they just couldn't get a feel for them compared to proper gigs. So I didn't look out for them. But as I don't know if you probably saw on my Facebook, a lot of us did streaming shows. Like yeah. I did one on a Saturday night called Fun Night. My mate did one on a Friday night. I had another one on a Sunday night. So when you got invited to them, you met other comedians through them. Then you had them on your show. And through that, I met people like Susie Frost, Katie Brown, uh, Greg Phillips, Dan Lives, comedians like that. And then we just got chatting and then we started a group chat on Facebook. And then we, when we finally met in person, because we, we felt like we already knew each other because we'd seen each other like this on Zoom. So when we finally met in person, we were like, oh my God. And the atmosphere of that first gig back in May, first gig back, oh, I can't explain the atmosphere. We're all buzzing our tits off going, we're actually performing to a real audience, real people. <laughs> you know, it was mad. Yeah, but I absolutely love it. How was, how was that then? So obviously stepping out on stage for the first time with live people, you know, like real life, yeah. you know, people that are sitting there, like, make me laugh, funny man. You know, yeah. how how was that? What did describe it? Oh, my heart was pounding going, I'm finally doing it after like 18 months. So I had one gig last year in between the two lockdowns at a place called the Hollybush, which is well known to East Midlands comedians. And that was like this really tiny room, about 10 people. And I'm thinking, yeah, that was pretty good. So when I got this offer, this brand new night in Clown, first night, I was like, uh, I can't remember what number I was on, but... They said, yep, do you want to do it? Yes, yes, yes. So I walked out like, oh, my God, you people, you're real. I was like, I know what I'm doing. Come on, I've done it a thousand times. Boom. And uh, they all laughed, which was the main thing. And like, but yeah, I was like, I don't really care if you're going to laugh or not. I'm just having a great time. I know everyone in that green room is going to be laughing. I'm going to be laughing with them and other people. And yeah, it's just, oh, it's fantastic. Is that is that what it's like when when a, when, when a joke doesn't, doesn't land? You can't just think, whatever you know someone out there is going to be laughing yeah the rule that you have as a comedian is uh three gigs if the joke doesn't work after three gigs and it's either change it or you scrap it so if the each audience is different i've had gigs where one joke's landed really well with an audience and i've done it on a different gig and it didn't land as so as well and vice versa you're thinking oh so obviously it all depends on who's watching what their taste in comedy is like but yeah the general rule is three gigs and then you change it or scrap it okay so what is how would you how would you know if a joke has, has landed i know people laugh but is it do you kind of focus on one particular person who like right you are my you are my like what you call it if you laugh at everything then i'm all right if you don't laugh at some things i use that yeah. as a barometer type thing obviously i can't speak for every comedian but myself and i just focus on the majority of the audience so they laughed and they like it. if they laugh and start clapping and i go yeah this is good because if if you want to if you get an applause break during your gig then that jokes bloody well because i did a gig recently i got about three applause breaks i was like yes get it <laughs> so that's what you need you just need like the majority and if you've got time to stop to wait if you have to wait for them to finish laughing for you to carry on then yeah you've got a good joke there you've, you've landed that joke perfectly yes where do you get where do you get your inspiration for jokes, other than yourself, obviously? I don't I don't really well, how I write jokes is I don't when I if I go and write down jokes, I can't write them down. But I'll be out just doing shopping or just out walking and I'll see something and something with a spark in my head and go, Oh, that could be a good idea for a joke. 
I quickly make a note of it. Then when I get back, I'll have a look at that note and go, right, I'll expand it like this, or I'll take away that bit. Because when I do come to write my set list, I don't write it out fully. I just do bullet points. I yeah. do like uh, school, chair, serials, I don't know. And the reason I do that is because then, because if I write the joke out fully, I've got to stick to that. I can't change it. Whereas if I do bullet points, I can change it on the night, which I have done several times by accident and on purpose. I can change it there, move it around. And another rule I go by personally is a joke is never complete in my eyes. I can always change it slightly, can always move it about, tweak it, put a bit in, take a bit out, do it after this joke or do it before that joke, you know? So that's how I, because I've got a few jokes that work in several places. So when I come to write a set list, like I've got a gig on Friday in Bedford and when I come to write that set list, I go, right, do this bit, but I haven't done this bit in a while, do that bit. I've done that bit loads lately, leave that bit out, you know? So I've got to figure out what, and if you, obviously like, Friday, I don't know my audience. If I know my audience in advance, I'm going to, right, I know these people will like this, these people will like that. Like, if it's going to be mostly uh, young young people, they're going to like uh, sex jokes. If it's going to be mostly adults and older people, they won't like that as much, you know, so, yeah. Do you ever get, an, do you ever like sort of get an idea of the types of punters that you'll get, or is it sort of, you sort of play it by ear? A majority of the time it's player by year. Rarely you'll get asked to do, oh, we've got an event, this type of event. And you go, right, okay, this ain't going to work, but let's do <laughs> let's do it. You, yeah, like probably about 2% of the time you know your audience, but majority of the time, especially if it's a club, you know it's going to be people like in their 40s, 50s, like people are on a typical like, night out. So that I could just do whatever the heck I like. Yeah. And, yeah, and there's not going to be any kids there, so we F and dress there, whatever. Yeah. Okay. So, what is your favourite joke that you have at the minute? That I have, it's a joke where I say during lockdown, I because uh, I couldn't do any gigs, I started baking, and I got quite good at it. I thought, I know, I'll make my own baking, uh, do my own baking company, but annoyingly, the name Little Mix had already been taken. And then I've got another joke that I said I do a lot about school. And there was a website when I was at school called My Maths, where basically you just do a load of maths revision. And, all. and the password was three random letters. That, yeah. And my random password was E L F. Yeah, that was my password. So, and then I put it line to that and say, I got bullied by an algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is funny. Yeah, the I usually get that as well. That's fun. Yeah, and that is generally a true story. The password was E L F. It's like I'm, <laughs> I'm being bullied. Yeah, by an algorithm. That you to get a big laugh. Oh, uh, I can. Do you know what? I can imagine that gets a big laugh because that is. Yeah. I, I guess it. The more true to life it is, the funnier it is because it's relatable. Yeah, because people have been through that as well. Yeah, other people have been like, oh yeah, we had stuff like that at school. You know, I mean, I don't think I could ever be funny. To be fair, I uh, I'm like accidentally funny. Yeah. I, I will well, I will say I something. Mean... I'll just say something, and people will laugh, and I'll be like, "What? What, I say? what, what, yeah. what, what, what did I say? What, what, what was funny?" Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't think I could ever be purposefully funny and go out to sort of make people laugh on purpose. Yeah. That is such a hard thing to do. 
Oh, yeah, but obviously the more you do it, the more you get used to it. And, like, but one of the problems me and a lot of other comedians have, when we write our jokes, we'll read them and think, oh, yeah, that's good. But then when we're practicing, we keep reading it and reading it. Obviously, the more we read it, the less it becomes funny to us. So then we start thinking, oh, no, no. Like, no, it's funny when you first read it. So it's going to be funny when they first hear it. So that's what we got, we got to learn. Okay, yeah, because it's not funny now because I've read it a hundred times, you know? So yeah. if it's funny the first two or three times, then it's going to be funny on stage. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Because if you're saying, yeah. yeah, you know, if you say it over and over and over, whereas you're hearing it all the time, they're only hearing it once. Yeah, uh, and also, you know, you've got a good joke, but I've had this as well with me and me watching people is when even though you've heard the joke three or four times and you know what's coming, if you're laughing still, then it's a good joke. I've, as someone I mentioned earlier, Susie Frost, I've done quite a few gigs with her and she knows my jokes, she knows my punchlines, but every time she watches, I, I hear her laughing at the punchline going, yeah, now I know I've got a good gig, good joke there because no matter how many times you heard it, you're laughing. Yeah, I, and I, I can imagine that there's, that there's a few of those. I can imagine yeah. there's a few. If you had any words of advice for someone who wanted to get into comedy and wanted to be a comedian stand up, what would you what would you say to them? Uh, you're probably a lot funnier than what you realise, because a lot of comedians have crisis where they think I'm not funny, I'm shit, I'm not going to be doing it good, and like, no, you are bloody funny. You don't, you're you're always your worst critic of yourself. Heck, the amount of times I finish a gig and I go. I could have done better that I watch a gig and go, oh, they actually laugh more than I've realised. A gig always goes differently to what I remember. Because yeah. when you watch a comedian, they're kind of focusing on you, but they're focusing on their set list, going, right, I need to remember everything that I meant to do. I need to remember this joke, it connects to that joke, it connects to that joke. Like, we're like paying 30% of our attention to you, 70% on what we're supposed to be saying. Then when we watch it back, we go, ah, yes, they laughed more than I realised. And, okay, yeah, they didn't laugh as much as I realised. So, yeah, you're a lot funnier than you realise. Write about what you know. As I've said in this interview, I write about being a dwarf, my how people treat me, my school life, my work, the job centre and all that crap. And because I know about it, it's unique for me, you know. Yeah. They write about, like, I've got one friend, Katie Brown, she writes about her kids Obviously, she knows them more better than anybody else does, and she, and she won't mind me saying this if she's listening because she says it herself. She's a bit fat, so she talks about being overweight because and she is very funny, but because she knows about that. And like yeah. uh, Alex Liam, who's a mobile DJ, but he can't drive, which is handy. So he writes about yeah, he has to get lifts from the rest of us every time he's got a gig, a mobile DJ gig. He'll message us going. Um, I've got this wedding. Can one of you drive me, please? Like, yeah, okay, we'll drive you. It's yeah. So we write about being a mobile DJ and about music. And if you are in Edinburgh, go and see Joy of Dex. It's absolutely hilarious. So yeah, so write about what you know, really. And okay. And I, and I know it sounds this bit sounds cliches, but just keep getting, try and get gigs. Like you start off five minutes, which is fine. And people think, oh, five minutes—that's not that long. It goes a heck of a, it's a heck of a lot longer than what you realise when you're on stage. You'll do it, especially when you start out, when you start doing your jokes, you go, blah, 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 blah. You go, sorry, what? You need to slow down. It's because you're nervous the first few gigs, so you, you ramble, and you realise you've done all of your stuff within two minutes. You've got yeah. another three or four minutes to kill. You're like, ah, oh, crap. 
So take your time, listen to the audience. If they're laughing, you stop. If they're laughing and you're carrying on, they're not going to hear the next joke. And also, if you stop while they're laughing, it pushes your time out a bit further. So, yeah, just keep getting gigs for five minutes, then you'll grow to the 10 and 15s, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so, yeah, that's what probably advice I'd give. Do you want to give a shout-out to anyone? I know you've done you've done some anyway, but is there anyone else that you want to sort of shout-out? No, nah, just really the comedians who are listening to this who are in my group chat on Facebook. They, they know who they are. Uh, obviously, Ben Holmes, if he's listening, who I present Fun Night with. Uh, yeah, just them, really. Do you mind if I plug my pages if people are still listening? Go for it. Uh, yeah, if people do want to watch my gigs, they can find them on Facebook at George Coppen, actor and comedian, and they can find them on YouTube at George Coppen. Excellent. Good. George, thanks so much for taking the time to have a chat, mate. I really appreciate thanks it. It's, it's brilliant. And, and I have laughed. My face hurts. So, <laughs> my face hurts, which is, which is good. So... Thank you very much, mate. I appreciate it. Enjoy yeah. the rest of your day. I've bunked, yeah, off, you, work. I've bunked off work for long enough. I better get back to doing yeah. some work. <laughs> nah, no, <don't>, it's boring. <laughs> All right, bud. I'll see you soon. See you later. Bye. Yeah, George, bye.